Welcome to the Habit Podcast, conversations with writers about writing. I'm Jonathan Rogers, your host. Sean Smucker is the author of three novels, most recently Light from Distant Stars. But he provides for his large family by helping other people get their books written as a co-writer and a ghostwriter. I invited him on The Habit to talk about his habits of creativity and a very busy household that includes six children and two parents who are writers. Sean Smucker, thank you so much for joining me on The Habit today. Yeah, thanks, Jonathan. It's a real pleasure to be here. I've been looking forward to this. Well, good. So your your uh, novel, Light from Distant Stars, comes out in July, if I'm not mistaken. Is that yeah. right? Yeah, that's right. And you've got a couple of novels uh, that have already come out. Yeah, so I had um, two young adult books that came out a couple years ago, about a year apart. The Day the Angels Fell was the first one, and then um, The Edge of Over There was Mm -hmm. the second one. But this one is an adult novel, correct? Yeah, that's right. This is a standalone adult novel. Yeah. Um, How was that, making the switch from young adult to adult? Uh, It didn't feel too different. I mean, Uh the, the, um, the YA books that I wrote were... Uh, a lot of adults enjoyed them. I think it's it just had more to do with the age of the protagonist than anything else. Right. So, yeah, 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 yeah. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, I think it would be a mistake to, even in a young adult novel, to to write about anything that you weren't interested in yourself, right? I mean, the the idea of, of uh, uh, pitching it lower for... Right. For, I mean, I write middle-grade novels, but, you know, there aren't any jokes in there that I don't think are funny, <laughs> you know. As a yeah. grown up, <laughs> exactly. There's nothing exactly. that I think. I think yeah. I, you know, there's nothing that I say. Here's something I think an 11 year old would like, but I don't like it that much. Yeah. Yeah, I think. I mean, wasn't Madeline Langle who said something like, "If a book is too difficult, then you write it. Then you write it for children." So uh, I, I think. Um, I think that's. I think that's true. Yeah. Um, so you did something interesting uh, when you were working on uh, Light from Distant Stars. Um, and that is you you decided to journal through that process, and you were copying what's uh, – or you were following the example of, I should say, um, <laughs> Steinbeck, right? Steinbeck did this? Yeah, he, yeah, he did which it novel? twice. He did, uh, uh, he did Journal of a Novel, uh, which was for East of Eden. Okay. And then he did another one, which I can't remember what they ended up calling that one for Grapes of Wrath. Um, uh-huh. But the one I really love is Journal of a Novel, and – I I thought it was really interesting, um, you know, how deliberate he seemed to be with those with those entries and and um, how it seemed to really set him up for or he used it as a time to kind of concentrate on what he wanted to accomplish. Um, Sometimes he just wrote about, you know, everyday stuff, but I thought it'd be an interesting exercise to try. So what happened? Yeah, it was great. I mean, it's um, I didn't do it for the novel that I'm currently working on and handing in soon, but. Uh, because it does, uh, it, it just takes more time. Sure. You know, it, it's some, sometimes, uh, I just want to jump into my writing time and not, and not have to take that extra 20 minutes or whatever. But I do think that it's beneficial and I'm, uh, I'm start, I'm going to start writing another novel this fall, winter probably. Uh-huh. And I, I'm going to do it again because I, I did feel like it focused my mind a little more and it, and it, it just forced me to think about, um, what I was hoping 
to accomplish, you know, with each section. So I, I yeah. do think it was, I do think it was good. So in, in your journal entry, you would write about, here's what I hope to accomplish today. Like what, what was a, what, what would a typical journal entry look like? Yeah. Well, a lot of it was, was, uh, I would say about half of the, half of the entries were more generic as far as, uh, this is what I'm struggling with today. This is, these are maybe what the voices in my head are saying, or mm-hmm. this is why it's, kind of tough for me to get started other days i'd be like hey this is why it's going well Uh um and then and then there would be days where i where i try to work through an issue like a you know some sort of character development or um there was a scene that i was having trouble with and so i kind of tried to write through what my challenges were with that and and it was helpful Hmm. and you um you ended up making that journal available to to readers, if, if is that right? Yeah, it's uh, it's about fifty one pages. It's in a PDF right now. Um, I'm offering it up as a pre order bonus. I don't know when this episode will go out, but it's it's uh-huh. up for a pre order bonus. And um, I'll probably eventually, you know, stick it on Kindle or something, um, just as a just as a digital download. Uh, yeah. So I'm I'm curious as you were doing that, since well now that now it's a now you've invited readers in, into it. Um, were you thinking about readers when you were doing that, when you were journaling? Everybody? I was, I was, yeah, I actually was because I had a couple hundred people who had signed on to follow me through the process. Huh. So, um, when I say journal entries, it was actually, um, I would type it out and then just shoot it out as an email, um, hmm. to the people who had signed up to receive it. So it was, it, you know, in that way, it was also really encouraging because, uh, every couple of days, I'd get a few emails back from people, you know, encouraging me or just saying that it uh, was an entry that had particularly encouraged them. So it was it was yeah. it was a nice practice um, because it can feel pretty lonely when you're. I mean, as you know, when you're kind of charging through the first draft of something and wondering if you're losing your mind to have other people along. Yeah, that's interesting. It is a lonesome process, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it can be. Um, yeah, you're, well, you're right. It can be. Um, I'm, I'm kind of an extrovert. Are you an introvert or an extrovert? I used to always think I was an introvert, uh-huh. <laughs> but my wife is a true introvert, and uh-huh. I see the differences between us. And so I think I'm a little bit more towards the middle. Yeah, yeah. So so many, you know, so many writers describe themselves as introverts um, and relish the alone time required to write, but. Um, but I, you know, I, knowing, I, I know you've got, at least I have to be alone to write, but I, uh, mm-hmm. but I don't especially like being alone. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I, I get out quite a bit while I'm writing. I try to get to cafes or coffee shops a few times a week. I think I, I do kind of need to have that sense of other stuff going on, other people around me. Yeah. Um, so, well, t- tell me about, you have, a, you have a big family, six kids. Um, yep. and, um, a busy life. How do you squeeze writing into that, that life? How do you do that? What's your, what's your particular process? I'm, I'm really fortunate, Jonathan. I've got, um, so I make a living as a co-writer and a ghostwriter. And I think that that really frees me up as far as schedule and stuff. Uh-huh. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I work at home, I'm self-employed. And so when it comes to writing my own, my own books, 
uh, I've made it a practice to just make sure that those are always first. So that's the first uh-huh. thing I work on every day. Okay. Um, because I know that I'll get the contracted stuff done. Like even if I have to work strange hours or work at night or whatever, but if yeah. it, you know, if it's my own stuff, it just seems like I'm more apt to push that on onto the back. So, um, I, I, I do, like I said, I try and work on my own stuff first. Um, I try and do a thousand words a day when I'm in the middle of a, of a draft. Uh-huh. Um, and yeah, my wife is really good about when I'm home, you know, trying to keep space for me. And then, um, she's a writer too. So we've okay. recently been, um, also trying to get her more time to write. So it's, it's kind of a lifestyle that we both committed to and we both know how important it is to the other. Yeah. So that helps. Wow, that's tough having two people in the house writing, and when you've got then <laughs> yeah. six other people kicking around, knocking stuff over. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's it's a bit of a circus sometimes. But uh, our kids, my wife had been homeschooling for a while, uh, but they, we, our kids went to public school this past year, so that opened up a whole. Oh yeah, I'm road. sure. Yeah. Uh, you know, on the one hand, a rigid scheduling, but on the other hand, some, a little bit of empty space. So Yeah. So you, you devote your mornings to writing. When does your wife squeeze it in? Uh, well, she recently, it was interesting, she recently finished the Kate DiCamillo book. I can't remember which one it was. And at the back in the acknowledgments, Kate mentions that she wrote that book, um, and her normal practice is to write 200 words a day. Uh-huh. Um, and at that rate, she does about a book a year for yeah. her age group. And, um, so that was really encouraging for my wife. Her name, my, my wife's name is Miley. Um, uh-huh. that was really encouraging for her. She, you know, I think in the past we had always been trying to figure out how can we clear two hours a day or a couple hours here and there. Yeah. Um, but when she read that, it, it's become much more doable, um, for her to be writing consistently because she just sneaks in some time here or there to get her 200 words in. Uh Um, so that's worked well, but we, you know, I have, uh, we had a big conversation a couple years ago. Well, maybe it was 18 months ago where I came back from a trip. I had been in Iraq, uh, working on a book, a a co-writing project. And I came back, you know, 10 days later, having seen the world and all this adventurous stuff. Yeah. And, uh, she just kind of looked at me and she was like, I can't do this anymore. You know, I can't keep, um, holding down the house and not writing. Um, you know, I think she, she was eyeing up her 40th birthday and, uh, we had kind of fallen into this pattern where I, I was writing as much as I could at first just to pay the bills. Um, but then more recently with a little bit more margin. And so we really had, we had to have some serious conversations about clearing some time for her. And, um, we made some changes and it's been, it's been really good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if, if you're going to write, you have to say no to some things and you have to, mm-hmm. you know, Netflix is a good, good place to start saying no. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's true. Um, so you say so, and by the way, that the Kate DiCamillo, um, if I'm if I'm not mistaken, when she started writing two hundred words a day, she was working in a book warehouse and would kind of sneak in her two hundred words at work. Is that do you is that sound is right? that right? No, I didn't know that, but that's that's really interesting. Yeah, I think so. I I, I, I think she, she doesn't sound like an ideal employee. I think she would read the books part of the time and write part of the time. <laughs> um, 
But on the other hand, aren't we all glad that she didn't uh, oh, give all her yeah. energy to being a, a good Bookware Harris employee? Uh, because, man, yeah. she's, she's a treasure. That's, just, that's the challenge, isn't it? I mean, I think, I think so many writers, I just wish I could encourage people to figure out how to work that in. You know, I, I, I cross paths with a lot of writers in my life, and so many of them are are stuck or just feel like they can't find the time. And I kind of wish I could, I could just encourage them to, to keep looking for the time and make it work because there's always, I mean, if she could do it 200 words a day, you know, you can write 200 words in 10 minutes, 15 minutes. So just, yeah. Um, well, and so you, your goal is to write a thousand words a day. What happens if you don't write a thousand words? Um, it's okay, but it's, it's, when I'm in the first draft, I really want to try and get some momentum going. And I feel like if I'm consistently writing less than that, it just feels like I'm not making enough progress for the, for the, for the time that I want to try and finish first draft in. So, um, a thousand words seems optimal. And most of the time I'll do a little more than that, but mm-hmm. it, it's a good goal for me and I can do it in the amount of time where it leaves me you know, the rest of the day to, to work on, to work on my projects that I have for other folks. Yeah. I want to talk about that in a minute, but, but the, the projects for other folks, um, mm. cause in some ways, um, I, I have actually, I have six kids and I've also done the co-writing ghostwriting and okay. for, oh, wow. for me, the co-writing ghostwriting was a bigger challenge than the having six kids. Uh, but we'll talk about that in a minute. Yeah. Um, yeah. the, um, no, we're gonna we're gonna move on to co-writing and ghostwriting because I forgot what I was gonna ask you about uh, <laughs> about the uh, oh no no I do know what I was gonna ask you a thousand words a day how how much time do you set aside for those thousand words? Um, well, I try and have I try and have like the morning routine that I do and my thousand words finished by eh, between ten and eleven at eleven at the latest. Okay, but between okay. ten and eleven, yeah. So, yeah. but your morning routine, when you say 10 or 11, do you mean you're starting at 4 in the morning and give yourself till 11? Or you start at 8 <laughs> no. in the morning and give yourself no, till 11? Well, during the, during the school year, I do breakfast for the kids. So okay. um, I'm up at around 6. And between 6 and 7, there's not too much going on. So I try and, uh, you know, journal, read my Bible, read a little bit of creative, um, some book on creativity or writing. Uh-huh. And then by seven, it's pretty much you know I'm the I'm the the short order yeah. cook, yeah, um, and getting everybody out the door. And then my wife kind of takes over usually about seven thirty or so. Uh-huh. And then the other part of my morning routine that I added was just some physical movement. I mean, a workout would be great, or a walk, or just something to kind of get out. And while I'm doing that, I listen to um, a book that I love. Um, I usually only listen to books that I've already read because I can't, I I lose track when I'm listening to books that I haven't uh, read before. And then I come back from that and that's when I try and jump right into writing my own stuff for a little while. Wow. Okay. Um, but we're, we're at what, eight 30 now before you start and you only give yourself till 10 or 11. Uh, yeah, eight 30. I can usually write a thousand words in a couple hours if I'm not too distracted. Okay. Yeah. I love the idea of listening to a book that you've already read. Um, I, I think the listening to a book is, is so listening is so important to a writer. Yeah, um, it's 
it's my it's listening to books I've already read has become my sort of way of cheating my way through an MFA. I just feel like I learned so much by listening and paying attention to what talented writers are doing or what they're trying to do. And, um, you know, I love all the light we cannot see. I listen to Marilyn Mm -hmm. Robinson a lot. Um, Mm -hmm. and it's just picking up little things, you know? And then when I go back to my writing that day, it's kind of like, Oh, I should try that. Or I'm like, you know, how can I work this in? Or, you know, what was the dialogue like in that book? And could I maybe Mm -hmm. learn something from that? So do you have any, can you give me a concrete example of something that you, uh, heard in the morning and then put into your writing a little while later? Yeah, just recently I was listening to um, uh, Great Gatsby, uh-huh. and um, I was I, I was blown away by his use of detail, which I, for some reason, reading the book, that had never necessarily jumped out at me. Huh. Um, but listening to it, I just, I was really impressed by just the, the smallness of the detail that he used. And so, yeah, for the next couple of writing sessions, I tried to see uh, you know, if there was if there was a way I could incorporate that a little bit, not not wholesale changing my voice to become Fitzgerald, but um, mm-hmm. you know, just trying to pick up a few things. Yeah. Okay, so you mentioned that you do you pay the bills with co-writing, uh, some ghostwriting, probably some rewrite editing and that kind of thing. Hmm. Yeah. Um, tell me so. What are the challenges that? What are the benefits of that kind of work for for doing your own work, and what are the challenges? Yeah, I think the benefits, um, at least early on, especially, was that it taught me or showed me that I could write a book. Like I could, mm-hmm. I could start and finish a book, um, yeah. which isn't really something that I had done a whole lot of in my twenties and early thirties, but. Um, I'm 42 now. So when I started doing that, I was about 32, 33. And, you know, I just got into this good habit of, of writing entire books of 50, 60,000 words. And I think that was a, that was something that served me really well. I think it was also just the sheer amount of words I was writing, even though they were often from dictated recordings or, you know, things like that. I just, uh, just the physical writing of all those words, I think, started to imprint something in me that was really valuable. Um, but the challenges for sure are, I mean, you only have so much output in a day, you yeah. know, and it's um, uh, one of the reasons I do my own stuff first. But even then, you know, sometimes I get to a point where I just I'm, I have to really crank out somebody else's book and, and my stuff does get pushed to the side because after doing, uh, you know, I might do 1500 words for one project and maybe 1500 for another. And, you know, by the time I get to the afternoon on a day like that, my brain is pretty much fried. So yeah. there, there is that challenge of, of trying to balance everything. Yeah. I always found it hard to, to do both. I mean, to write my own stuff and write other people's stuff mm-hmm. in the same day. Um, and usually would do one day of my stuff and one day of somebody else's was kind of my, my yeah. plan for that. But I love your idea, what, what you mentioned of just uh, – that that is a a relatively low-stakes way to show yourself that you can write a book. To, to mm. you know, You're not feeling like this book is – you know, represents my self and my identity. 
know, mm, exactly. Just, yeah. You know, you're, yeah. It, it's it is a lot easier. I mean, I found it much easier to um, to help somebody else put their ideas into words than to put my own into words. And um, and you make a great point when you say just just the fact that you could show yourself that you could do it. Um, that that this is yes, there is something mysterious about the process of writing a book, but it's not all mysterious, right? There mm. there are there are a few there are skills there are habits that are in our control, um, and then if you if you put those habits in place, you make room for that mystery to assert itself. You know? Yes, yes, definitely, definitely. I think that's a beautiful way of saying it, and I think. You know, the, the, the other thing was the whole routine of, of, like you're saying, just the practical aspect. You know, I learned to love spreadsheets of saying, mm-hmm. okay, well, when does this book need to be finished by? Uh-huh. How many writing days do I have between now and then? Okay, I have to do 700 words a day. I have to do 500 words a day. I have to do 1,000 words a day, whatever it might be. Yeah. Um, and to just, you know, to, to see, wow, like I can write... I can write a whole book, you know, in three or four months. If that's, yeah. if, if, it's all about consistency, you know, you can like, like with Kate DiCamillo, you can write a whole book in a year on just 200 words a day, but it's the consistency that counts. Yeah. The other great thing about, uh, co-writing ghostwriting is that you, uh, don't have any choice, but to try out some different voices, Yeah, which is really true. helpful for a fiction yeah. writer. Yeah, that's really true. Um, there, you know, Gosh, I've written for so many different types of people, and almost all those books were in first person. So uh-huh. um, that's yeah, that's really true. I don't think I ever actually thought of that. Before. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a uh, an interesting way to make a living. Um, <laughs> and my favorite my favorite times in, in that line of work was when I had somebody who, who really had something good to say and just, and for whatever reason, couldn't get it into words. It was, it was a real pleasure and a blessing to, to help, you know, those people get there. So, yeah, so true. Know, words so true. It's, yeah. I love, I love working with, you can just tell when you're working with someone who's a natural storyteller, but not a natural writer. Yeah. And those, those are definitely the, the most fun. Yeah. Um, you, you probably know, know of, know or know of David Pallison of the, um, CCEF, uh, the, the counselor there in, outside Philly, not too far from where you are in Lancaster. Oh, okay. Okay. A, over by West, where Westminster Seminary is, there's a, you know, CCEF mm-hmm. is a counseling, uh, organization. Anyway, David Pallison was a very well-known counselor who had a huge impact on just a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And I was fortunate to, to get to help him with a book. And he was just so smart and so insightful and so wise. And when you would sit down and talk to him, he would just talk in these beautiful paragraphs. <laughs> and then when he would try to write it down, it would, you know, it, it, it wasn't as beautiful. And yeah. I would have to, you know, I would say, so what were you trying to say in this paragraph? And then he would just open his mouth and this amazing paragraph would come out. <laughs> and I'd be like, well, why didn't you That's just awesome. write what you just said? And, and uh <laughs> I don't know. I, I I couldn't in a million years talk as eloquently as as he could talk. Exactly. Yeah. And for some reason, you know, when when when, and he he was actually not a. It's not that he was a bad writer. He was a, actually a good writer. But but it, it, his his spoken paragraphs were just so amazing to me. And there was just yeah. a difference between that and what made it onto the page. And that's not really all that uncommon. 
Yeah, you know, I, it's co-writing uh, sometimes, and ghostwriting especially, sometimes gets a little flack. And I understand, I understand the frustration sometimes because, you know, a lot of times it's just about platform and just right. about trying to um, shoehorn a name onto a book cover, you know, so you can sell a lot of books or whatever. Mm-hmm. But there are many, many cases when I'm working with people like you've described where they really do have something remarkable to say. They've got an incredible story to tell. Yeah. Um, and it's a, I think it's, it's a really worthy partnership when you can help that come into being. Yeah. I've also helped some sort of, I've helped people put books in the world that I'm not sure the world needed. Um, <laughs> Sort of, you know, you got you to put food on the table, man. I don't know. C-list <laughs> celebrity memoirs, that kind of thing, you know. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But, um, but it is it it really feels like good work when there's somebody who really has something to say and just needs a little help saying mm-hmm. it. Yeah. Um. Let's see. I I want to hear a little bit. I I know uh, just from reading reading around on your blog a little bit that you have creative kids. Um. At, at least a couple of creative kids. Maybe you have six creative yeah. kids. I don't know. But um, but what do you do to to support them in their creative work and and help them to to develop as as sub creators? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I so our oldest son is a writer. He loves he's loved to read books ever since he was little. And I think um, one of the things that we started to do with him a couple years ago. He just turned 16, but I would say when he was about 12 or 13, we, we kind of just stepped out of the way as far as, um, the books that he wanted to read. I mean, we were still involved in helping him to choose those. And I think what we tended to do was to steer him more into adult books as opposed mm-hmm. to YA. I just find YA is actually a lot edgier. Um, mm-hmm. mainstream, mainstream YA, I feel is a lot edgier, even than a lot of adult fiction but um so we kind of steered him into classics and to older books and if he wanted to read something and we were kind of like a toss-up on it then we let him read it and um i think just giving him that freedom uh caused that love to just flourish in him for the written word and for mm-hmm. writing and so i think i think with him it was just kind of about us getting out of the way my daughter loves to play guitar she's a wonderful guitar player she's 14 now um, and so again, you know, just, just trying to figure out what, what tools we could, we could line her up with, what other people could we put her in contact with? Um, I think with, when you have artistic kids, I think, I don't know if it's, if it's cause or effect, but we've always tried to really verbalize the value that we have when it comes to art, uh-huh. uh, whether it's, you know, music or books or things like that. And so talking about those things a lot and just showing the kids how important we feel that they are, I think has kind of ingrained in them a certain sense of wonder and, and curiosity. And, uh-huh. um, so yeah, it's been really fun to see that happening. And, and our, most of our kids love to read. Um, I mean, we still have two real little ones who are two and four, so they're not, uh-huh. they're not there yet. But, but even with them, like my four-year-old, we've, we, uh, we were reading Charlotte's Web to them for a period of time. And, uh, wow, what an experience. I mean, he loved it. He absolutely loved it. Really? So we got to the second, second to last chapter when Charlotte dies. And, uh, <laughs> I was like getting oh right up to that. Yeah, I know. I was getting right up to that point. 
And he suddenly like reached over and tried to close the book and he was like, okay, I'm done. I will oh, go wow. to bed. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, well, we're, we're almost finished. Like we're, you know, we're literally like a page away from finishing this chapter and it'd be great if we could finish. And he wasn't too sure about it, but I just kind of powered through and boy, he lost it when we finished <laughs> reading that chapter. He just wept. Oh, poor guy. <laughs> so I know, but you know what the funny thing is, as soon as we finished, he wanted to start it over again. Wow. So, um, I, I think a lot of times we tend to sort of dumb down the stuff that we give our kids. Um, and when I say we, I mean the culture. Uh-huh. Um, but I think that they can handle a lot more than we think they can. And, mm. and I think that, you know, introducing them to this kind of stuff, and I think it just increases their interest and, and their natural curiosity. Yeah, so. yeah I mean, so, so, sometimes it feels like the, our culture is rushing our little kids to be 15, and then it leaves them mm. there. On your blog, though, you told a story about your daughter who started a painting and actually made some progress on the painting. And can you tell that story? Mm. Yeah, yeah. So she had had this idea for a painting for a long time, and, and she had described it in great detail to us. And it being the picture of uh, of a young girl walking into a forest and all around the girl would be like fairy lights, you know. And so she had this great vision for what she wanted this painting to be. And she paints and draws a lot. She's very talented. So she started on this. This was maybe a year ago or so. I guess she was 12 or 13. And she started in on it. And, uh, you know, throughout the day, we would kind of check on her progress. I don't know. I guess, well, the kids were all homeschooled. So it must have been a day that they were all at home. And so we kind of peek in every now and again, and, and I just loved how it was turning out. I thought it was really well done. And uh, so I took a picture of it at one point, and then, oh, I don't know, at night um, we walked in, or she came out. I can't remember what happened, but she said, yeah, I painted over it. I was like, <laughs> what? <laughs> she was just so frustrated. You know, she couldn't get it to look how she wanted it to look. Yeah. Um and so she painted over it and I was, I didn't really know what to think of that because I, I mean, boy, I get it. There are books that I've written that I would love to just hit the delete key on, but I also think it's important to recognize and, and almost even bear witness to the improvement that we've made, you know, how far we've come. And yeah. so we just talked, we talked a little bit with her about that. We didn't make a huge deal about it, but we, you know, I just, I just encouraged her to, to finish the projects that she starts. And then, um, you know, if she wants to improve it to start again and, and, and do something, um, to, to give it another try. But it was, it was, it definitely, it definitely got my mind thinking about this whole idea of what do we delete and what, you know, what do we keep? Yeah. Well, I, I love the idea of, of going ahead and finishing. And if you then finish it and you want to put it in a drawer and not show anybody, okay. Mm-hmm. But yeah. but finishing is is pretty important. Um, just Jonathan, for... Jonathan, finishing, I have to jump in here because finishing totally changed my whole writing journey. Um, in 2013, 2014, I had started so many novels in my life leading up to that point. Um, but I don't know that I had ever written a full length novel from beginning to end. Mm-hmm. And in 2014, I decided I was going to do that. I was going to finish the novel I was working on. And that was the day the angels fell and I self published it. And then eventually it was picked up by a publisher, but just making that commitment to finishing things, I yeah. think is so important. So yeah. important. 
That, yes, agreed. Um, the, uh, just demonstrated yourself that you can do this. Um, uh, and even if you, even if you do it badly, that's fine too. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Because, yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, and it, the other thing that you did with your daughter, I remember from your blog post, is that you sat her down and showed her that uh, Ira that Ira Glass video when she talks yes, about the gap. Yes. And I'm going to uh, yeah. put a link to that in the show notes for this for this Good. episode because um, probably a lot of a lot of listeners already know that you know that little short talk by Ira Glass, but it's it's so good. You know, the idea that the reason you get into this in creative work in the first place is because you have good taste. And your taste, more or less by definition, exceeds your ability when you're, uh, well, probably at yeah. any point in your life. Um, and yeah, that's yeah. I mean, I still, I still feel that gap. I'm sure you sure. probably do too. It's like this, you know, you read this just amazing stuff that's out there. Yeah. And it's easy to sometimes think, oh my gosh, will I ever get to that point? But yeah, um, yeah. No, that, that's such a that, great video. That feeling of that gap that you feel, which feels like is what is disqualifying you, in some ways is what's qualifying you as a creative person. Because mm-hmm. if, if, if you weren't sensitive to that gap and that difference, you wouldn't do it at all. You wouldn't be interested yeah, in trying. Very true. So, like yeah. I said, I'll, I'll link to that because I, I love that you brought that up in your uh, in your little blog post. Um, all yeah. right, last question, Sean. Who are the writers who make you want to write? Well, I've mentioned a couple of them, I think, already. Mm-hmm. Um, Marilyn Robinson, for sure. Whenever, yeah. you know, I, I've reread Gilead many times, read Home many times, and there's just something about about the way that she can generate these, or the insides of these characters, the internal movement and stuff. That's just, it just amazes me. So yeah. whenever I read her stuff, it's like I have to, I have to get started. And Anthony Doerr, All the Light We Cannot See. I, yeah. Uh, I read that. Uh, I feel like I'm always just getting back into that again because I I love what he did there, and I'm still trying to figure out um, how that how that whole book works so well. But, I haven't read that um, book. Somehow I have I have missed that book. Everybody I know who's ever read it has loved it, and I've never read it. Yeah, highly recommend it. I mean, it's just the way he sets everything up is really beautiful. Some people don't really like the ending, but the more times I read it, the more I'm convinced that it was the right way to go. But you can uh, let me know what you think. Yeah. Um, is the narrator a blind person in that story? Uh, well, the it's it's third person. It is okay. But it's pretty it's it's pretty Close. limited. So yeah. you get that. Yeah, you you do get that feeling that you're in there. And yeah, the, the, there's a little girl who's blind girl. Yeah, I want to. Um... I, I I really want to have a look at that because because the visual sense is so important. You know, I, in my teaching, mm. I, I just hammer the visual, and here's somebody who wrote this book that everybody loves. You know, from the point of view of somebody who can't see, I want to. And know he, he yeah, that. he did such a fascinating. I mean, it was a beautiful job too because especially now that I'm listening through his book again, you know, or the last time I did anyway, I I just kept listening every time that he would be in her perspective. I kept listening for. You know things that he would give away that that she couldn't possibly see, and he just didn't do it. I mean, he was wow. so good at it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, okay, you've talked me into it. I'm going to go read it. <laughs> I think the book is at my house somewhere. Of course, finding, okay. it, finding it's another thing altogether. <laughs> right. Well, Sean, thank you so much for taking uh, this time. I I hope a lot of people read um, Light from Distance. Is it is it Light from Distant Stars or The Light from Distant Stars? 
It's yeah, light. light yeah, from that's what I thought. Stars. Okay, yeah. yeah, light from distant yeah. stars, uh, from uh, Ravel. Yep. All right. Um, well, I um, I hope lots of people read it and enjoy it. And uh, thank you so much for taking uh, this much time with me. Oh, thanks, Jonathan. It was great. Thanks, Sean. Let's talk again soon. The Rabbit Room has partnered with Lipscomb University to make this podcast possible. Lipscomb has graciously given us access to their recording studio and the Center for Entertainment and Arts building. We're so grateful for their sponsorship, their encouragement, and the good work they do in Nashville. Special shout out as well to the Arcadian Wild for allowing us to use their delightful song, Finch in the Pantry, as part of this podcast. Check out their album of the same name for more excellent music. The Habit Membership is a library of resources for writers by me, Jonathan Rogers. More importantly, The Habit is a hub of community where like-minded writers gather to discuss their work and give each other a little more courage. Find out more at thehabit.co. This podcast was produced by The Rabbit Room, a 501c3 nonprofit dedicated to fostering Christ-centered community and spiritual formation through music, story, and art. All our podcasts are made possible by the generous support of our members. To learn more about us, visit rabbitroom.com. And to become a member, rabbitroom.com slash donate.